in preparation for the sermon, the proclamation of the doctrine of God's word, let's now read from that same psalm, from Psalm 32. Psalm 32, a psalm of David, a contemplation. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many, sorry, many sorrows shall be to the wicked, But he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So for our reading from Psalm 32, we turn now to the summary of the doctrine of Scripture as we find in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 21. We'll read... The 56th question and answers on page 535 of the Book of Praise. Here we as church confess, what do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature, against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never come into condemnation. So far. Brothers and sisters in Christ, those that are loved by our dear Lord and Father, if you were to turn in the book of Psalms to Psalm 1, you would see that the first word in Psalm 1 is the same as in Psalm 32, blessed. The entire book of Psalms, it shows two different ways to live, two different paths of life, the way of the righteous who are blessed and the way of the wicked who will perish. 
The word translated blessed, it means something like happy or, or, even, or even joyful. In Psalm 32, it shows why the righteous are blessed, why they are joyful. We read, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. The forgiveness of sins, it is central to the blessed life, to a joy-filled life. This afternoon, I proclaim to you what each one of us may confess. As a member of Christ, I enjoy the forgiveness of sins. As a member of Christ, I enjoy the forgiveness of sins. We'll see three different things. First, we'll see the reason for my joy. Second, the location I experience my joy. And finally, the struggle which hinders my joy. So firstly, the reason for my joy. Our catechism asks in question 56, says, what do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? Children, if, when you ask your friend for forgiveness, what, what are you asking for? Well, it means that you did something wrong and that there is a problem between you and your friend. And you're asking that your friend will no longer be upset with you so that you can go on being friends just like before. When we are asking for forgiveness, we are seeking a restored relationship. But congregation, I, I wonder, do we, do we think about how costly forgiveness really is? For example, let's say, teenagers, you just bought a brand new car. You, you proudly park it in the driveway and go inside for supper. But the neighbor kid is playing hockey and accidentally shoots a hockey ball right through the window of your brand new car. If he asked you for forgiveness, would you? We know that we should forgive as Christ has forgiven us, but it would be difficult, wouldn't it? Choosing to forgive him, it, it hurts you. The full penalty of his actions the, the, the cost of restoring that broken window, it now has to come out of your bank account. Forgiveness isn't free. The, the price is paid by the one who chooses to forgive. And the same is true when God forgives us our sins. Forgiveness isn't free for God either. God must pay our penalty for us. And you forgot or you thought that forgiving a $200 car window was difficult. Romans 6 verse 23, it says that, that the wages of sin is death. Eternal death is, is the penalty that was hanging over us because of our sins. How then can God forgive us all of our debt? How? Only because of Christ. As we confess in, in answer 56, I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature. When you believe in Christ, because of his satisfaction, because of his payment on the cross, God no longer remembers any of your sins any longer. He sees you as washed, perfectly clean from any sin every sin that you have ever committed.
So if somebody asks you, children, what did Jesus do for you? You can truthfully say that Jesus came into the world to die on the cross to to pay for, for my sins. It's true. But actually, it's only the first part of the answer, of answer 56. Does Christ only pay for your sins? Does he merely wipe away your guilt and leave you in a so-called neutral state before God? Well, congregation, if that was all that Christ did, we would never be welcomed into the kingdom of God. Because God's children cannot just be neutral in his eyes. God's children are are holy and righteous. They, They are called to reflect his image. Hebrews 12, it says that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If Christ only paid for your sins and left you in a neutral state, none of us would ever enter heaven. We must also be righteous. The last three lines of answer 56, it deals with a less commonly known treasure of our Reformed faith. It says that God will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ so that I may never come into condemnation. Jesus died for me. It's one of the most beautiful confessions that anyone can ever make. But as we are approaching Christmas and we will celebrate the birth of Christ, we will also look forward to Easter, when we will, uh, to Good Friday and Easter, and we'll also celebrate his death and resurrection. But what about that that 30-some-odd-year period in between Christ's uh, birth and his death? What What about those 30 years? Well, brothers and sisters, Jesus didn't just die for us. He also lived for us. When you believe in Christ as your Savior, you have no reason to be afraid because you lack nothing. His life of perfect obedience, perfect righteousness and holiness, it is imputed into your account. God counts all of that righteousness under your name in his legal books, in his book of life. Christ's perfect obedience, it guarantees that you will be welcomed into heaven as one of his beloved children. This is such an incredible joy to meditate on the righteousness of Christ. And it gives us such a a profound sense of freedom and security to live in. When your alarm clock rings tomorrow morning, go and live your your day in joy and in peace, being thankful to God that your righteousness is already secured in Christ. There's nothing for you to do, nothing that you can do to somehow secure God's favor. It's already been done by Christ. but you might be wondering, how does this all happen? How does God graciously grant to me the righteousness of Christ? Well, I'd invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5. Second Corinthians 5, I think it's on page 1330 of the Pew Bible. And in verse 21, 
Paul, he describes the the greatest exchange that the world has ever known. He says in verse 21, for he, that's God, he made him Christ, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Perhaps an analogy from marriage might help to explain what is happening in this verse. My wife and I are, have now been married for about two years. And before Titus was born, Chanel was the breadwinner in our family. So sometimes I would like to, to joke and bugger and remind her that what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. And what this means is that everything that once belonged solely to your spouse, it becomes yours. Legally, in the eyes of the law, it is yours. If you marry someone with a million dollars, it becomes yours. If you marry someone with a million dollars of debt, don't do that. But, but if you do, it becomes yours. This is what Christ does. But the incredible thing is that we don't just have a million dollars of debt. We have a debt deserving of eternal death. But Christ, he he willingly takes it all. In God's eyes, Christ legally takes ownership of our sins and he pays our debt by nailing those sins to the cross. In God's eyes, they are forgiven. They are wiped away. And it doesn't stop there. All that was Christ, that perfect, righteous life that he lived, he now shares it with us. In the eyes of God, the holy judge, Christ's righteousness, it becomes my righteousness. Imagine the relief of that neighbor boy who you forgave a $200 window. Now think of the joy that would would light up his face if if on top of forgiving him that $200, you you also gave him his, his very own Maple Leafs jersey to wear. Wow, not only is he forgiven, he also receives this incredible gift. Congregation, now just think of all that you have been forgiven. What a reason for joy that we have. We would probably run from not marry someone with a million dollars of debt. But Christ willingly takes on a a far greater debt, a debt deserving of eternal death. Christ paid the penalty for my sins, and not only that, not only does he forgive my sins, but I also receive as gift the pure, shining robes of Christ's righteousness. What an awesome reason for joy we have, congregation. In the sight of God, we are perfect. Who is a God like our God? A God who forgives sinners. May the joy of the forgiveness of sins and of Christ's righteousness be something that we cherish, that we dwell on each and every day again. We come now to our second point, the location of, where I experience my joy. Location where I experience my joy. 
If you were to flip through the Heidelberg Catechism, you'd probably notice that most, if not all, of the Lord's Days, they seem to have this, this unifying theme that ties all of the question and answers together. But if you look at Lord's Day 21, what is the theme that ties Lord's Day 21 together? Question and answer 54 and 55 are, are clearly about the church. Question 54, what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? Question 55, what do you understand by the communion of saints? But question and answer 56, it, it seems to be more about me as an individual and, and my forgiveness of sins. It says right in the, the first part of the answer, God will no more remember my sins. Well, in order to answer the question of how this Lord's Day turn ties together, let's look back at answer 55 together. The answer reads, believers, all and everyone, as members of Christ, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. And now this is the connection, or sorry, there, there's two main things to point out here. First of all, it says, as members of Christ. Notice that this is also part of the theme for the sermon um, this afternoon. The theme is, as a member of Christ. As a member of Christ, I enjoy the forgiveness of sins. So that's the first thing to point out. The second thing to point out is it says that the members of Christ, they, they share in all his treasures and gifts. And this is where we get the connection to Lord's Day, or to question and answer 56. One of the treasures and gifts that I re receive and enjoy as a member of Christ, as part of his church, is the forgiveness of sins. To come back to our analogy from, uh, of marriage from 2 Corinthians 5, it's the sins of Christ's bride, the church, which Christ takes ownership of and pays for. He offers his bride the gift of righteousness. We enjoy the forgiveness of sins and Christ's righteousness when we are members of the church. God designed the forgiveness of sins and salvation to be connected with his church. We already see this with Israel in the Old Testament. Here was a, a specific chosen people, God's church. God gave to them and to no one else the gift of the sacrificial system, which represented the forgiveness of sins through Christ. And the connection between the forgiveness of sins and the church, it continues with Christ in the New Testament. Jesus gives to his church, church discipline, one of those keys to the kingdom of heaven. You might remember Matthew 18's famous line, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The forgiveness of sins and salvation, it is connected with Christ's church. We see this again after Peter's sermon in Acts 2. We can read there that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Those who were saved, whose sins were forgiven, they, they naturally became a part of the church. The church is an assembly of saved sinners. So congregation, it's, it's not without reason that we confess in the Belgic Confession that there is no salvation outside of the church. Do you believe that? 
that there is no salvation outside of the church. Let me ask this. Maybe the children can, can help with this one. Would you go to buy a bike at the bakery? Of course not. That would be silly. You go to the bike shop. In the same way, salvation and and the joy of God's forgiveness of sins, it is found within the church. The two go together. Now that being said, we must be careful that we understand what the Belgic Confession is actually saying. Hopefully none of us believes that only members of the Canadian Reformed Church or our sister churches will go to heaven. But nevertheless, does it not sometimes happen that people are content with their their own personal piety, with having a so-called individualistic walk with Christ. They believe that they can serve God just as well or even better by themselves. They are dissatisfied or even irritated with the church, and so they, they isolate themselves from God's people. It is especially to these people people that know better, they know Christ's will, that they should remain a part of his church. It is to them that the Belgic Confession warns that there is no salvation outside of the church. Congregation, how can you know Christ's will for your life? Utterly reject it and still expect to enjoy salvation and the forgiveness of sins. How how is that possible? to those who know Christ's desire, that they join his church and yet harden themselves in sin and rebellion. To them, we must declare that outside the church, there is no salvation. Christ himself said in Matthew 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven except the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. to those who lack the knowledge of Christ's call to join a faithful church, to those that are not aware that Christ desires them to join the church, and yet love and obey Christ as best they can, God is merciful and gracious. Christ will also atone for their sins of ignorance. And yet the call to join the church remains for them also, because they remain in spiritual danger while they, re, while they are outside of the church in which Christ usually chooses to save. And to those who know of Christ's call to join his church and yet harden themselves in rebellion and the delusion of personal piety, how can they expect the head of the church to save them? Congregation, it is not pleasant needing to end this point with such a serious warning, but it is necessary. May we all take it to heart. Under normal circumstances, there is no salvation. There's no forgiveness of sins outside of Christ's church. Okay, you might ask. I'm a member of Christ's church. I believe in Christ and I want to serve him. But why? Why does it sometimes happen that I simply don't feel any joy? How do you explain my struggle to sometimes feel forgiven, to feel any love from Christ? This is our third point, the struggle hindering my joy. 
our catechism has a well-worded and a balanced answer. Yes, we, we get to enjoy God's forgiveness of our sins and that, that he no longer remembers our sinful nature already here in this life. But the catechism also acknowledges that we still have that sinful nature against which I have to struggle all my life. Our daily sins and our remaining sinful nature, they often stand as, as a barrier between us experiencing God's love. Children, do you perhaps know what this is like? Maybe you, you broke a decoration in the living room, and a decoration that, that mom told you not to touch. And maybe nobody knows it was you, but, but perhaps you still feel bad afterwards. You might feel distanced from your mom, almost like you can't go to talk to her like before. David experienced the same feeling of separation from God when he sinned. We turn back to Psalm 32. We see this in, in verses 3 and 4. In Psalm 32, verse 3, David says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality, my, my, my joy, my life... It was turned into the drought of summer. David was, was pinned down by his sin. It was almost like there, there was this giant boulder sitting on his chest, crushing the, the very joy of life right out of him. Brothers and sisters, if you are in that position, if you feel trapped in a rut of sin, or maybe it's not even sin. Maybe you just feel distanced from God for, some, for one reason or another. What do you do then? Don't we sometimes feel as if we need to re-earn God's favor? Whether it's by not sinning or by doing regular devotions again. Back when I was doing better, then I experienced God's favors. So now I must do better again in order to get God's love back. It's a lie from hell, brothers and sisters. You do not need to. In fact, you cannot re-earn God's love and favor. It is true that your sins continue to offend God even after you believe in Christ. But once you believe in him, God always loves you because you are righteous in his eyes. So why then? Why do I sometimes feel like God has stopped loving me? Why do I sometimes feel like I must re-earn God's approval with my actions? Well, Psalm 51 is another psalm where David asks for God's forgiveness. But I want you to listen carefully. Listen carefully to what David does say and does not say in Psalm 51. In verse 12, David pleads, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. He doesn't say, Restore to me your salvation. No, God gave that to David once for all. But like David, we can certainly sometimes lose the joy of our salvation. The Canons of Dort, if you want to look this up at home later, chapter 5, article 5, the Canons of Dort capture this well. They say that by their sins, the saints sometimes for a while lose 
the sense of God's favor. We might lose the sense of God's favor, lose the sense of of God's loving arms wrapped around us. Our sins, they make us us blind, deaf, unable unable to feel, so that we lose all awareness of, of God's loving arms. But congregation, here's the point. Those arms are still there. To say it another way, some of us have had the unfortunate experience in probably the last two years or three years of losing our senses of smell and taste due to the virus. At supper time, mom may have made our, our favorite meal, steak and potatoes, meatloaf and salad, or, or even that fantastic lasagna recipe. We knew it was delicious. We'd experienced it before, but, but our senses were gone. Terrible. We could no longer savor the joy of our favorite meal. The virus of unconfessed, unrepentant sin has the same numbing effect. We no longer experience the joy of God's love. This doesn't mean that anything has changed on God's side. His love towards us remains constant. Only our ability to experience and to enjoy his love and the forgiveness of sins has changed. So how? How then do we again experience God's favor? Well, the canons of Dort, they continue. They say that the saints lose the sense of God's favor until they return to the right way through sincere repentance and God's fatherly face again shines upon them. Doesn't Psalm 32 show this so well? Look at verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what happens? And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Done. Just like that. David's heartfelt confession and repentance restored him. That crushing boulder of unconfessed sin was removed. Once again, David could experience the joy of his salvation. And so delighted is David with with his refound joy that he wants everyone, all of us, to experience the same. Verse 6, he says, For this cause or, or for this reason, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Children, after breaking that decoration, you, you, you know what you're supposed to do then, right? You go and you, and you tell mom. You say you're sorry and you ask for forgiveness. And then it's over. Even though you might get a small punishment, isn't it, isn't it much better knowing that mom still loves you and that she forgives you for your sin. Now you don't have to to feel afraid or to feel bad any longer. Congregation, we must all get into the habit of regularly, daily confessing our sins before God and and seeking his forgiveness. Verse 6, For this cause, for for this reason, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Let us acknowledge our sins quickly to God and experience the joy of his forgiveness. 
Verses 8 and 9 of of Psalm 32, they they say the same thing. They encourage us to, to willingly return to the Lord, to seek his face and to not ignore the sin in our lives. Let us not pretend like sin is not a barrier between us and God. Let us not be like that that horse or mule without understanding that must be disciplined into repentance and obedience. No, let us resolve quickly to repent each day again, asking God for our forgiveness of sins through Christ and then experiencing the renewed joy of having our sins washed away and being clothed in those pure, white garments of Christ's perfect righteousness. Amen.